0: text for today is a section from the Sermon on the Mount. The whole thing takes up two full chapters in Matthew's Gospel. Now perhaps Jesus gave them this whole sermon one time in one sitting, or perhaps the Gospel writer compiled all the things that had been told that Jesus talked about and preached about during the course of his ministry and put it together in one sermon. It doesn't really matter. Either way, it's a lot. Today, Russ is basically taking one line and focusing on that. So when I get to that line, I'm going to punch it hard. We could preach every Sunday from the Sermon on the Mount and likely not cover it all. So for today, I'm going to read this whole section from the Sermon on the Mount that we've been given by the lectionary. But don't get distracted by all the things. Recognize that it's dangerous to just take the words on the page at face value. It would be much, much better to take each one of these warnings and each one of these issues and unpack each one of them. So as I said, don't get distracted. Just stay focused today on a bigger picture. So from Matthew chapter 5, beginning with verse 21. You've heard that it was said to those of ancient times, you shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you that if you're angry with a brother or sister, you'll be liable to judgment. And if you insult a brother or sister, you'll be, you'll be liable to the council. And if you say you fool, you'll be liable to the hell of fire. So when you're offering your gift at the altar, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother or sister and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're on your way to court with him or your accuser may hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you'll be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. You've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that anyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out, throw it away. It's better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one of your members than your whole body to go into hell. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that anyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of unchastity, causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you've heard it said that it you've heard that it was said to those of ancient times, you shall not swear falsely, but carry out the vows you've made to the Lord. But I say to you. Do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let your word be yes, yes, or no, no. Anything more than this comes from the evil one. Whew. If you... You're offering a gift at the altar. And if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother or sister. You've heard the ancient story.
1: Amy is right. There is so much in the Sermon on the Mount We could deal with it every Sunday and never get to the end. I'm afraid that um, often we are guilty of taking the Sermon on the Mount as idealism and we just overlook it. There's a lot of practical wisdom in the Sermon on the Mount and all I felt like I could deal with was one line today. So I hope um, we'll gain some practical wisdom from one line from the Sermon on the Mount today. I thought I knew the Sermon on the Mount, what Jesus said about reconciliation, but I'm afraid I've had it wrong for a very long time. I had always thought that Jesus said that if you're bringing your gift to the altar, before you can even leave that gift, you need to be reconciled where there's an issue of forgiveness at stake. If you have wronged anyone, you need to make it right. But I read closer this week. I hope you heard that better when Amy read, That's not what Jesus said. Now, just a little aside here as we begin. If you're thinking cleverly as you read this text that this might work out conveniently for you, like you're having a spat with the proverbial mother-in-law and you're looking for a reason not to have to talk to her ever again and then you hear Jesus say, you can't even make your gift at your church unless you make things right with somebody and you're thinking, wait now, Never talking to my mother-in-law again, never making it right with her, means I also don't have to give a gift to the church. Double bonus. If that's what you're thinking, we need to go back to the beginning. The broad point Jesus is making is a strong one, namely that relationships we have out there are essential to everything we do in here. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and love your neighbor as yourself. Looking at the rest of the Bible and the life of Jesus, we learn that what this really means is love God as you love your neighbor, or love God by loving your neighbor. Those two relationships, those two loves are inseparable. If your heart is not well enough to make amends with a neighbor, your spirit is can't be right with God. And the point of the gifts we offer to God is not the actual gifts we offer to God. You know, God doesn't need our money or a thousand rivers of oil or the sacrifice of our firstborn child, as the prophet said. No, the gift itself is not really the point. The point of giving is the heart that is able to give. It is the life that wants to give, the spirit that understands gratitude so innately, so organically, that you cannot stop the generosity from freely flowing. St. Augustine said, love God and do as you will. Now, he didn't mean that if we gave a little money at the church— said some rote prayers, had perfect attendance in Sunday school. He didn't mean that that kind of loving God gave us permission to live any way we wanted, you know, to cheat on our taxes and sleep with the boss and become a drunken embarrassment to our family. No, what Augustine meant was that if we truly loved God, our hearts would be transformed. And what we wanted to do would always be the right thing. Loving God would mean we could not bear to just put a check in the plate as if we could buy God on the cheap if we were not living in harmony with those around us. So Jesus begins this part of the Sermon on the Mount affirming that relationships with one another are literally inseparable from our relationship to God. It probably can be said either way, A right relationship with God signifies right relationship with friends and enemies, who are actually our neighbors too. And equally, right relationships with one another, healthy relationships built on trust and respect, equality and mutuality indicate a right relationship with God. The two are the same thing. Now I understood that. What I was missing was whose responsibility it was to make it right. I thought Jesus had said, if you have messed up, especially if it's something kind of flagrant, if you are at fault, then it's your responsibility to grow up, to fess up, to step up, to take your hat in your hand and go to your brother, your sister, your boss, your fellow church member, the proverbial mother-in-law, and say, I'm sorry. Make amends. In that case, it's your responsibility. And that sounds like something Jesus would say. There are plenty of text in Scripture about taking responsibility, taking initiative. But I can't actually think of a specific instruction or parable where Jesus specifically says, if you make it wrong, then you have to make it right. Maybe he is just assuming that we understand that. Jesus does command forgiveness, and not just seven times, but 70 times seven, which is just to say an entire lifetime's worth of forgiveness. But in that case, he is saying if someone else offends you, and they come to you, then your response has to be forgiveness. What he's saying there seems, what he's saying in the Sermon on the Mount seems a different thing altogether, not If you offend somebody, then you have to take responsibility. And not if someone else offends you and asks for forgiveness, then you have to respond. Now this seems a step beyond either of those. Jesus seems to be saying, even if it's not your fault, if someone is holding a grudge against you, if someone has wrongfully accused you, if someone has slandered you out of envy or jealousy, if they're in the wrong, even if you are completely innocent, Jesus seems to be saying, you still have to take the initiative. It's your responsibility. Let me read it out of the King James. Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest, that thy brother hath aught against thee. Leave there thy gift before the altar and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother and then come and offer thy gift. If you remember that thy brother hath aught against thee. My friend Randy Morris was a six foot eight starting forward on the basketball team at Furman University. He also had a huge voice and conducted the Furman Gospel Ensemble with his 12-foot wingspan uh, arms each each, uh, rehearsal. I was in that choir for two years. Wonderful experience. Randy was basically a preacher at heart. He could quote scripture all day long and always appropriate to the issue at hand and always in the King James English. Now, if you ever seem to have an issue with anyone spoke ill of a classmate, griped about a professor, Randy might come up to you and say, Boy, you got alt in your heart. You got alt. I can see it. And then he would not let it go. We'd be eating lunch together with the rest of the Furman gang, and he would say to them, Russ got alt. He got alt in his heart. Now, I remember arguing with Randy that he was using the word incorrectly. It sounded like Randy thought ought was a thing, an actual substance. Now, for Randy, it might as well have been because ought in your heart separated you from your neighbor. Ought in your heart separated you from God. Let me ask, you got an ought in your heart? Now, it's a good question to ask, but it's actually not the question Jesus is asking in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus isn't asking if you've got ought, but if someone else has ought against you. And he's saying that even if it's not your ought, well, it really is. Because even if it's someone else's issue, someone else's grudge, if it's keeping you from relationship, Well, you ought to be the one to go. You ought to be the one to make it right. Now that word ought in that usage is from an old English word which means to owe. You owe it to make it right. Even if you didn't make it wrong, you owe it to yourself. You owe it to the offender. You owe it to God relationships are just that important even if it's their ought you ought to be the one to make it right now I keep telling you for all the good we do I'm afraid we still miss a lot of what Jesus says so much of how the way of Jesus really could change the world We have this way of rounding the corners, of smoothing all of Jesus' rough edges, of taking his language and making it so idealistic we can just ignore it. Taking Jesus and making him kind and gentle, which he was sometimes. But Jesus was also tough. A tough teacher who never let anyone off easy. This message, I think, is similar to his treatment of the golden rule, also in the Sermon on the Mount. As a good Jew, Jesus would have learned that rule this way. Do not do to someone else that which you would not want to have done to you. And that's a good rule. If you would not want anybody else to do it to you, don't do that to them. We could make a lot of progress in the world if people would just follow that rule But that's not what Jesus said. You have heard that it was said, but I say to you, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Now you see the difference? He's pushing us a step farther with the initiative that love requires. It's not just refrain from doing harm, but take the initiative to do good. Make it your responsibility, your ought, to ask your neighbor, if I were in their shoes, what would I want for someone to do to me? And his treatment here is similar. Admitting your faults, owning up to your responsibility, well, if people would just do that, that would change the world. When someone comes to you seeking forgiveness, you've got to forgive. That, too, would change the world. But Jesus is not content with just that, with just owning up to our responsibility or responding appropriately. The life Jesus wants us to live is proactive, not just reactive. Relationships are so important, so key to the success of human beings, not to mention to the kingdom of God. Jesus says we've got to go a step farther. It's even harder. Even when I am not at fault, it is my responsibility. It's difficult. Life is difficult. And Jesus never says he's trying to make it easier. He's just trying to make it better. Even if somebody else got all in their heart, I ought to make it better. It's my responsibility. I owe it. May it be so.